0: Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Would you take Ozempic? Yes or no, and why? No. No i think so no i would not side effects like that they're coming out with like stomach bleeding and things like that i'm just not enough i feel like long-term science behind it you just have a certain goal that you've been having like a hard time reaching mm-hmm. why not um i have a mother who's diabetic and it comes to the supply and demand when it comes to ozempic she is one of those people that needs it when she goes to the pharmacy and there's it's not available i find it very annoying i just don't like it It's the big secret that's not really a secret. Tons of people, men and women, are turning to semaglutide to lose weight. First things first, what is semaglutide? In the most basic of terms, it's a medication that mimics a hormone our bodies release when we eat. So you feel full when you eat less. And now to the why. People take... Ozempic, for example, which is a brand name for a type of semaglutide or Regovi or any other similar prescription for medical conditions, obesity and diabetes mainly. But others use it to just lose those stubborn last few pounds. And the results aren't unimpressive. According to a study published by the New England Journal of Medicine, people who were overweight or obese experienced sustained clinically relevant reductions in body weight. So translated, they dropped the pounds. In fact, down almost 15% of their starting body weight. But then you have that group of other people. Chances are, You might know a few who get on a semaglutide for reasons that have nothing to do with a medical condition. And therein lies the controversy. More people taking it means a lower supply at times. There have been a number of reports about shortages of semaglutide medications in America and also abroad. Now, I'm someone who happens to believe that you get to do what you want with your body when you're an informed, consenting adult. But I'm also someone who wonders if that feels fair, you know, for the people who actually need this medication. There is a lot to dig into when it comes to Ozempic and the related family of semaglutide medications. From the way it works, to the reasons people use it, to the long-term side effects and more. So today I'm talking with Dr. Michelle Cardell, an obesity and nutrition scientist, a registered dietitian, and senior director of global clinical research and nutrition at Weight Watchers. She is helping us sift through all things Ozempic. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of We Gotta Talk. It's episode two in season four. And if you're watching live, hello. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you for being here. There's some new, uh, some new people I know that are joining the We Gotta Talk family. So welcome. We like to call it real talk, big topics around here. And this week I'm covering something with a special guest that is on everyone's mind these days, everyone's lips, Ozempic, or a family of medications known as semaglutides. And whether it's a best friend of yours who just said oh my god you're not going to believe this i'm doing this once weekly injection and i've lost 20 pounds or whether it's just the news coverage on this medication that you've seen chances are you have heard that word my guest today is going to be answering all of the questions that we have about ozempic and that family of semaglutide medications how they work if they're really recommended for people without a you know a clinical diagnosed issue, what actually happens in the body when we use this, the results she's seen with her patients, and so, so much more. So our guest is a nutrition and obesity scientist, a registered dietitian, and the Senior Director of Global Clinical Research and Nutrition at Weight Watchers. She's a faculty member and the Associate Director for the Center for Integrative Cardiovascular and Metabolic Diseases, at University of Florida. That is a mouthful. Her name is Dr. Michelle Cardell. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me
1: today. Thanks for having me, Sunny. I'm excited to be here. Talk about titles, girl.
0: You got it all. I love it. (laughs) Um, So, gosh, we have been, you and I have been sort of back and forth trading ideas and and thoughts on this topic for weeks now, knowing that you were going to be a guest on the show. Everybody's talking about Ozempic, Dr. Cardell. What what is the first thing that comes to mind people seem to have a visceral reaction to like oh my gosh this medication saved my life and we're going to use by the way the word ozempic sort of as a general term that could be Wegovy or i don't know saxon or whatever yeah monjaro right, right, right. The
1: medications yeah
0: when you hear that word do you hear oh my gosh miracle medication or do you from the clinical side of things think whoa 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 perceive a caution
1: I think game changer medication because this class of GLP-1 medications that include semaglutide and terzepatide is demonstrating weight loss and efficacy that is just unparalleled to what we've seen before in the pharmacotherapy space and is starting to reach levels that we see with bariatric surgery. So really exciting for those who medically qualify. And like with any medication, you're going to want to proceed with caution, understand risks, benefits. How does this um, how how does your medical history and your needs, um, you know, line up with the FDA guidelines? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, this is really a decision that can only be made between a patient and their healthcare provider.
0: Is there you know, there's so much discussion about who should really be on it. And we're going to use air quotes around the word should, because this looks different to a lot of people. There are people with a medically, you know, like I said, a medical reason, like a diagnosable condition. And there are people who also need it, right. Or feel that they do for maybe that stubborn weight loss that never happened. Maybe they went through menopause, maybe they had children in their body. Um, So I want to know your clinical definition of the person who needs this medication.
1: So FDA guidelines suggest that anybody with a BMI over 30 or a BMI over 27 with a qualifying health condition like heart disease, um, hypertension, diabetes, et cetera, the the medications were originally designed for folks with diabetes. So that is kind of like the the FDA guidelines of who should get access to these medications. And we know that it's Beyond that, at this point,
0: anecdotally so, speaking, it seems to so me.
1: we we <laughs> hang out know. in my neighborhood. It seems <laughs> to be yeah. So I I do know like one of my friends lives in L.A. and she's like everybody is on these medications. You know, we've heard reference to it at you know the. You know, these big award shows, celebrities are either stating that they've been on it or people are speculating that certain celebrities are on them. Um, but from the FDA guidelines perspective, that is who is medically qualified to access these medications.
0: What kind, now you work with patients, Michelle, who are sort of on their own individual journeys, right? When it comes to, their sort of combination of medications and lifestyle changes. I want to know what people are telling you
1: when they're going on this for the first time. What are they seeing? What are they telling? What are they reporting yeah. about? So what the overwhelming thing that we hear from patients is this reduction in food noise. Um hmm. so food noise is kind of that like mental chatter that is constantly telling you like I need to eat, I'm hungry, feed me, you know, like that preoccupation with food. And for folks who have struggled with obesity or struggled with their weight, you know, their whole life, they say to us, for the first time in my life, that mental chatter is gone. Mm -hmm. And they'll say things like, is this what lean people feel like, you know, on a, like, on a daily basis, that they're not, they don't have that constant preoccupation. And For so many folks, that seems to be like one of the most overwhelming benefits of taking these medications because it allows for the adherence to um, and the facilitation of those healthy habits that they want to engage in.
0: When you put it like that, Michelle, to me, it makes it sound like obesity or any related medical condition is actually, I don't want to say a disease of the brain because it sounds dramatic, but... To hear someone say that my brain functionality is changing as a result of this medication, it does lend credence to that sort of philosophy, which I know angers people. When people are told obesity is a disease of the mind or a condition of the mind, there are a lot of people who will shake their heads at you and be like, please, It's a disease of laziness. It's a disease of lack of effort. I want you to, from your clinical perspective, sort of set the record straight on what you believe the root issue
1: is. Yeah. So... Two super important questions. Um, the first piece that of what you're getting at—that hearing that these medications have such a powerful effect on um, people's brains and on their bodies—I I am in total alignment. Of I think that really provides additional support to these very strong biological drivers of obesity, suggesting that obesity is a chronic condition, no different than the development of hypertension or diabetes or asthma, um, and with that second piece that you asked, I think it really highlights this pervasive weight bias and stigma that we have so prevalent in today's society where we still, you know, the mainstream media still tends to think of people with obesity as what you're mentioning. You know, it's a it's representative of a lack of willpower. It's laziness, et cetera. But the data is unequivocally clear that that is absolutely 100% not the case. I think we're in a transition period very similar to where we were with mental health, you know, a couple decades ago where people were like, you're struggling with depression? Like, that's on, that's on, that just means you're weak. Like just cheer up, you mm-hmm. know, whereas now we recognize, no, like this is an actual medical condition that requires medical treatment and care. Similarly with the disease or the chronic condition of obesity. Yeah, it's, it's complicated.
0: I have listened to uh, convincing arguments, frankly, on both sides and and, and we're, we'll get back to Ozempic and its impact and sort of how it helps people who struggle with obesity in a moment. But I think this is a really important foundational discussion as we move forward, because as it relates to obese people who use this medication, I do think people consider them, people consider the superficial use of this versus the medical use of this sort of two discrete categories. So I really want to dig into those with medical conditions first. And I I want to understand more about what you're saying, which is a, a condition of the mind or an issue with the functioning of the brain, Michelle. What is different in the brain of a person, an obese person, that you or I might not struggle with? Is it is is there something chemical actually happening?
1: Yeah, so we see that obesity is a really complex and multifactorial disease. So how one person develops obesity may be different than how another person develops it. And in the scientific literature, we're starting to talk about obesities, like different types of obesity and what drives the development. Uh, but a uh, Common components that drive the development of obesity are genetics. Genetics plays a huge role. Even if we all ate the same exact food and moved our bodies in the exact same way, all of our bodies, Uh our shapes, our sizes would be completely different. To the environmental piece, we live in what the scientific literature has, has deemed to be an obesogenic environment where we have... Red, like we have easy access to um, very calorie dense, highly palatable foods, um, you know, that really invite uh, the excess consumption of calories. And then another component is going to be this physiological, metabolic, biological factors. It can be changed with things like medications. Certain medications drive the development of obesity. So things like that.
0: Yeah, I, I I hear you out and I, I agree and fully understand the concept of every body being different. I think as I get older too, I start to realize, oh wait, it really is genetics most of the time. Whether that's like how my kids are acting or how I am reacting physically to something versus a friend, I'm like, why doesn't this do the same thing for me? Is it... I believe that, but there is a question, there is is a skepticism in me. There's one particular point you brought up with living in an obesogenic or an environment that sort of promotes obesity. There remains a fact that we are confronted with the same list of food options available. And I know there are some sort of societal issues that play into this as well, access to healthy food, financial income but there are skeptics out there who will say it ultimately does in part not in total come down to the decisions you make and i'm i'm curious how as a scientist when you're working with someone you make that point of delineation and you sort of in in a in a kind and comfortable way say yes science is responsible for x percentage of what you're dealing with but Ultimately, there is an, a decision factor. Do you? How do you address that? Or could they be eating romaine lettuce, and it still be a challenge for them?
1: Yeah. So, in terms of the socioeconomic components, I think the the decisions that people make are based on the choices that they have. Um, you know, I think. Sonny, you and I are both in a really privileged position mm-hmm. where if we want to go to the grocery store, we can go to the grocery store and purchase whatever fruits and vegetables or whatever foods we would like. And we have access to those grocery stores because we have grocery stores around us. We have transportation to get us there. Um, you know. And I think sometimes people forget that not everybody is as fortunate as we are. And some people, you know, folks living in rural areas, folks living in really um, underserved or vulnerable communities, uh, their options might only be the bodega on the corner where Mm -hmm. fresh items are not available. And then you add in the the resource perspective. So it's not just access, it's what resources do they have to to purchase those foods? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, One of the things that was really striking in this study that Dr. Kevin Hall did at the National Institute of Health, he looked at ultra processed food consumption and the effects on on weight and the ultra processed food group, um, you know, did have really adverse outcomes related to it, but they found that it was much more expensive to purchase the foods for the whole foods diet in the study than it was to purchase for the foods for the ultra processed foods diet. So I think that that is always mm-hmm. going to be a com- important component of it when right. talking about access and and health. Yeah. You can't really
0: have the discussion. It sounds like about health and nutrition without having the discussion about society, socioeconomics, uh, access and privilege, like you mentioned, but I did want to bring that up because there is a pervasive Snottiness sometimes yeah. in parts of, of the, the the fitness, the wellness community that I know I have heard on podcasts or have read online that aims to be a tough love approach where it's like, get your ass off the couch. Okay. And it it's helpful to be reminded, right? That there are it's a multifactorial challenge for people and that it's not as simple for everyone to make those sort of nutrition decisions.
1: Yeah. So and what's so great about these GLP-1 medications like Ozempic is that because they reduce that mental chatter they and they're addressing that those biological drivers it allows for the facilitation of adherence to these healthier lifestyle behaviors to eating you know a more nutrient dense diet to eating you know less calories than than you need which ultimately allows for that weight loss let's talk about the mechanisms how ozempic really works what's it doing in our bodies yeah, so Ozempic is really powerful, and it's targeting both our like the brain centers of appetite. Um, so there's actual reduction in appetite, and simultaneously, it's also slowing gastric emptying. So you're going to feel full for longer. So it's kind of this like multi pronged approach that it's hitting both your brain and your gut.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what's it
1: making me feel if I'm taking it? So. Patients report feeling like a re- severe reduction in hunger. Like they are just not hungry. If anything, they have to be ensuring adequate calorie intake to make sure they're eating enough. Um, they report food aversions to various foods. Like they just don't, um, certain foods just don't seem appealing or appetizing to them anymore. And you know, they also want to be careful particularly while they're titrating up the medication, side effects like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, et cetera, can occur. And particularly with like really greasy, really high fat, high sugar foods. So there also creates um, a response because they want to avoid the things that are going to make them feel bad. Mm -hmm. So there's almost like an aversion to those type of foods as well. So it's making your
0: brain not want what it typically wants, both in quantity and type of food. Correct. And uh, here's what I always wondered too, is you're on this medication for presuming you're a diabetic or a person who is obese for an indefinite amount of time, but for people who are on this or wanting to be on this for a short period of time to drop the last 10 pounds that they didn't lose after the kids or whatever number of factors that we talked about at the beginning. Is it okay for them to be on, number one? And if so, how long is it okay for those people to be on?
1: Yeah, so the the FDA recommends that these are long-term medications. So because this is addressing a biological driver, the medication is only going to work as long as you're taking it. So the recommendation is absolutely long-term treatment. Um, you know, as a parallel with diabetes, we would, you know, We would never give somebody insulin for like three months and then, you know, they get their blood sugars down, they're feeling good, and then we like take them off of it. If we did, we would expect that, you know, the the issues with diabetes would go back up. Their blood glucose would go back up if we removed metformin, you know, things like that. Um, similarly, what we see in the drug trials is that when you remove these medications, um, you know, they did like a essentially a two year study, and they had the patients on the medications for a year. When they took those off the medications, they had significant weight regain, about two thirds of that weight that was lost in year one was regained by the end of year two so but there's a variety of reasons why people may get off these medications their insurance might stop covering it Um, they might not have the financial resources to continue covering this because it is really high out-of-pocket cost if your insurance isn't covering it or they might just decide that that's the course of action that they want to take um and so in that case, it's really important to have set really healthy habits while you are taking that medication in order to try and attenuate or to limit that weight regain that we tend to see when people get off the medications. Now
0: speak to the people who are using it not for medica- or not for diabetes, not for obesity, who are using it, I don't want to say casual user, but to that group of people do they have to stay on forever in order to continue to experience those benefits? Or have you seen when working with people, or I know that you might not be working directly with people who don't have a clinical diagnosis, but what you're hearing when these casual users are getting off, are they immediately gaining the weight
1: back? So, I, I have not treated anybody uh, and I let, let me be clear, I'm not treating anybody because I am not a physician. Um, where I'm seeing a lot of this is in sequence, so our medical weight management telehealth platform that we have that Weight Watchers acquired and then we're doing a lot of data analysis, we're doing clinical trials et cetera, with these folks, we're talking to a lot of um, patients so that's where I'm, I'm getting a lot of these insights. So as a result of that, I am not seeing recreational users um, beyond you know places like TikTok Um, but what I would expect based on the data that we've seen is that um, even if somebody uses this for kind of like as a jump start or to lose those 10 pounds or whatever it is it's unlikely that they're going to be able to sustain that weight loss unless some really healthy habits have been put in place to maintain that weight loss over the long term.
0: It's such an attractive drug, though, for the people in that particular category. And I don't think anyone would deny the use of this drug to people who are who medically need it. But it is it, no surprise why this has drawn in, you know, scores of women. And I'm sure men, too, who for cosmetic purposes um, just really want. I mean, it, it sounds like the perfect drug, Michelle It really does.
1: Well, I and- and it's really interesting to me that people have that impression, like it's almost being discussed like it's like this silver bullet, you know, this like magical pill that will take you. It's not a pill. It's an injectable. You have to inject this medication into your stomach with a needle. There's a lot of people who, you know, that that is off-putting for them. It's, it's scary to them. Also this is a serious medication you know there's legitimate side effects and potential risks that are uh, you know can happen with this the nausea the vomiting the diarrhea that people talk, it's no joke so i i don't want people to walk away from this feeling like oh it's just like you know like taking a vitamin or something like it's super easy no big deal um no it's this is a serious medication and I personally would not recommend that people use this as a, um, you know, as a recreational drug. If you feel like it's something that you qualify for, I highly recommend going talking to, you know, a highly skilled healthcare professional, ideally somebody who's board certified in obesity medicine, who has an ABON certification, it's American Board of Obesity Medicine. Those are the folks that are going to be most knowledgeable, most experienced in dispensing these type of medications. Just like we go to an endocrinologist for our diabetes meds or a cardiologist for our heart meds, you want to go to an obesity medicine specialist for these meds.
0: Right. So your job doesn't give you occasion really to interact with that particular type mm-hmm. of patient. Not Yours, at all. Um, but you're hearing, I mean, do you have friends? Like you don't have to name names, but I am like, <laughs> sure they're tapping you for I have me, so. I have a lot
1: of friends who have texted me being like, so I really want to get in on this. Um, you know, people who work at med spas or own med spas, there's a lot of interest and curiosity uh, around these medications. Um but yeah, I personally... Tell me what you helped. tell a friend, Michelle. What do you say? So I'm <laughs> calling you and I'm
0: like, listen, girl. And this yeah. is true. It's been a steady gain of like one yeah. to two pounds per year for the past yeah. five and six years. And, you know, I'm 40, almost 42. Like, I really want to... What's Michelle the friend telling me on the phone?
1: Michelle the friend is going to say... Uh, A, it depends. Like, you know, a steady gain. Where are you at? Has that has that steady gain now put you at a BMI over 30 where you would medically qualify? I mean, two thirds of, you know, 42 percent of adults in the United States have a BMI over 30. So it's not like this is. Um, you know, an unrealistic right. cutoff. There's a substantial proportion of adults in the U.S. who would medically qualify for these medications.
0: But people who aren't hitting those numbers, we need I, to say. I,
1: I would tell my friend if if they did not reach those numbers or have those medical qualifications, I'd be like, try something else. You yeah. know, there's, there's gotta be something else that hasn't been addressed yet, or maybe, and also just the reality of like, as we get older, it is realistic that we are going to have some yeah. weight gain. I'm 40 years old. I'm not going to have the same body that I had when I was 20, before I popped two ginormous babies out of me, you know? And so there I I do also encourage some level of of acceptance Mm -hmm. and looking at your body as uh, shifting our mindset to think about what is our body doing for us rather than this idea that I think so many women have ingrained in us of like it's all about what how we look rather than how we feel how is it functioning do we feel strong are we able to pick up our kids and run around with them are we able to you know do the activities that we enjoy i really encourage a like a mindset focused around that rather than just like what size jeans am i wearing or what's the number on the scale it's admirable it's a goal It is like, it's not
0: happening. Yeah. And listen, you know, I joke on my Instagram and here, like the superficial bitch comes out every now and then I'm like, you know what? I kind of care that. And, and I'm going to ask you to speak to the people who are going to do it anyway, and they're not getting it from you and they're not getting advice from you, but maybe they're going to a medical clinic or a medical spa and you know, that's their right. Um, Do you have, can you speak to what medical, not from a physician standpoint, but what nutritional advice you would give them? Because if I'm that person and I'm like, listen, Michelle, I've made up my mind. I found this great compounding pharmacy, which we're going to get to in a minute, the whole peptides uh, discussion. And I really trust this healthcare practitioner. I've decided that this is for me. What do I need to know before I start going
1: down this road? a couple of things. One, if you're going to do this, you want to make sure that you're taking a multivitamin. These these medications really do affect your appetite, and so our goal is really ensuring adequate nutrition, making sure you're getting the nutrients that you need to sustain Um, your health through that rapid weight loss that we tend to see with these medications. So multivitamin, one that has uh, third-party verification, like the USP label on it, I think that's really important. Two, ensuring that you're getting enough protein. Because there's rapid weight loss with these medications, you want to ensure adequate protein intake. So that way, the, the weight that you're losing is not from lean muscle mass. We want to attenuate Mm -hmm. the loss of lean muscle mass as much as possible, especially as as we get older. Mm -hmm. So we recommend between one and 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of of body weight um, that you have. So say you weigh, uh, you know, 100 kilograms, then we wanna see you eating between, you know, 100 and 120 grams of protein per day. Three is ensuring that you're getting enough fruit and vegetable intake, enough fiber. Um, These medications can cause issues with constipation. And so... You know, we want to help prevent that. And also, you know, just focus on an overall healthier dietary pattern. And then um, hydration, drinking enough is going to be essential for the constipation piece. And last is ensuring that you're engaging in resistance training um, at least two days a week, um, hitting all the different, um, you know, systems. And and that will also help prevent that lean muscle mass loss.
0: Uh, so there are real potential side effects of taking this, even casually, like that was a long list. I mean, and, and if I'm glad we covered that because it's like when you tell your kids not to drink, you're like, I don't right. want you to drink, right. but if you're going to drink, yeah, you need to call me for a ride home or absolutely. Or, yeah. And I think it's important to speak to that. I mean, it's interesting because getting into this topic and, and promoting it on social media, it's really hard to talk about this without one group of people feeling like they're being left out of the conversation or they're not being respected in some right. Because I, I truly can see, I interviewed a woman on my Instagram. If I were a diabetic, if someone I loved were a diabetic and we were impacted by a shortage of Ozempic due to, Jane down the block wanting to like look snatched, I would, I would be hurt. Um, yet if I'm Jane down the block and I'm 55 years old and I've lived my life and raised my children and I'm like, damn, I want to feel good. I feel like if it's legal and I have the right to do it, I get that too. So I'm curious what your opinion is on the cultural discussions that this Class of medications has sparked because it's really easy to understand sort of both sides of that story.
1: Yeah. You know, I think ultimately it comes down to who are we to decide who is more quote unquote deserving of these medications? Um, you know, folks with diabetes absolutely, you know, need these medications. Folks with obesity absolutely need these medications. And I can tell you, these shortages are not because Jane down the block, who wanted to lose 10 pounds and look snatched after her kids are out of the house, that's (laughs) not why we're having these shortages. Okay, Okay, pause. Why are we? (laughs) We're having these shortages because the the demand for these medications has absolutely not been able to meet the supply. It's because of Jane, though, isn't it? (laughs) Is it in part because of Jane? It's not um, okay. the biggest issues that we're seeing is that the um, the drug makers. I, I I don't know if it's that they didn't expect to have such demand or whatever it was, but their their factories literally cannot keep up with demand, right. and it's because I said you know, almost forty three percent of adults in the United States medically qualify for these, mm-hmm. you know.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point, because I, I yeah, think the, what's probably occurring to a lot of people, too, is like, oh, well, I fall into that category. Like I right. do medically qualify. So maybe right. it's not just, you know, the person who's casually, as we were saying, using it, right. but it is the person who realizes, oh, this medication is
1: actually medically for me. Yes. And it, and it can help me. And who are we to say that, you know. Whether who, who is more deserving? At the end of the day, that that decision is made between a patient and a healthcare provider. And if the healthcare provider supports that decision and that treatment, then I, I personally would never want to shame somebody for making choices that they feel like are best for them, for their body, and are aligned with what their healthcare provider is saying to them.
0: Yeah, I I and I I do want to preserve a lot of like sort of dignity and respect for that yeah. group of people too. Totally. Um we really like to like in our society sometimes you look at things in a really binary way, like either you actually need this to live, or you're just some horrible superficial person who wants right. to fit into your skinny jeans or whatever is populating these bootcut jeans. Um yeah. so I'm glad we 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 focused on that nuance. And and listen, you know, there may be a point in my life where I'm like, this is for me. And I'm going to go and I'm going to see whatever practitioner. Um, it's not at the moment, but we've got a lot of time left. Um, I do want to talk about peptides or compounded um, medications mm-hmm. versus these brand name Ozempic Wegovi drugs. Um, we're hearing a lot of discussion about that. So what is the difference? And is there something that people who are doing the compound pharmacy version, the peptide version should be aware of?
1: Yeah, it's a great question and so important. So I would not recommend anybody go with a compounded version. Um, the, The brand name versions of these drugs are highly regulated, have been extensively tested for efficacy and safety. And so we have a lot of data on these medications. On these compounded versions, i don't even know what they're Mm. giving people because nova nordisk and eli Lilly, which hold the patents to these medications have come out and very clearly said we are not giving semaglutide or terzepatide to you know or like what these chemical structures are to these compounding pharmacies so we don't know what is being given or provided in them um so personally, I'm not going to put anything in my body that has not been tested and isn't regulated. But I also recognize that there are major shortage issues. There are, you know, major insurance and financial barriers to getting mm-hmm. the the brand name. So I can totally understand why people are turning to the compounded versions, um, just in my own medical, you know, clinical perspective, I would never recommend them to somebody. And if a friend of mine called me and was like, hey, there's like this great deal, I can get this compounded version for like 100 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month. I'm like, I'd be like what is your safety worth? You know, what is your the health of your body worth to you? Can can you even guess what might be in them? I I don't want to
0: put you on the spot, but is it a blend? Like I said, I keep hearing the word peptides being thrown Mm -hmm. around. Like what could be going in there? And moreover, again, if someone is choosing to go this route, what do you suggest for a way for them to screen for the safety of this?
1: Yeah. So in terms of what is going in there, I mean, I have no idea. All I can report on is the data with supplements. So we know that supplements are not regulated by the FDA. And that's why I always recommend third-party verification for any supplement that you're going to take, which just means like an independent company came in and tested your product and has ensured that what you said is in there is actually in there and they're not adding other stuff. Um, Almost 100,000 people end up in the emergency room every year just with supplements, because things are added to them that is not reported in the label, Um, particularly with weight loss supplements, about Mm -hmm. 25,000 people on average end up in the emergency room each year because of weight loss supplements. So you really wanna be careful, even just with supplements, let alone a compounded version of these medications. If somebody is going to choose to take this, um, I, Again, I, it's not something that I would ever recommend, mm-hmm. but just ensure that you're going to, you know, a really safe clinic and that you're under the supervision of a, a, a health care provider, a nurse practitioner or a physician who's highly trained in this area. Another supplement that's been making
0: the rounds on social media is berberine. And people right. are claiming that this is giving them the same results as people they know on a Zenpic rapid but they say healthy weight loss, um, decent energy levels. What do you know about berberine?
1: So what we know with berberine is there are there are some studies that suggest that berberine can be effective for improving glycemic control or your glucose levels. It could be a potential uh, good option after you've cleared it with your healthcare provider for folks living with diabetes. Um, the data around weight loss in berberine is really sp- body at best. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea that berberine is kind of like nature's ozempic or people are expecting the same level of weight loss with berberine as we're seeing with these GLP-1 medications is highly unlikely to pan out the way that they hope for. If and you're going to take berberine, make sure you're doing one that has that third-party verification though.
0: And and don't take too much. Do you have a recommendation on how much is safe?
1: I do not have a recommendation on that. At this point, I could look into the research. And if people have questions about that, I could look into it. And you can do answers. I know you do your like, Instagram Mm -hmm. stories. And I could look at what what's been used in clinical trials previously. Yeah, I had to
0: ask because I, I'm not even all that active on TikTok. And even I was seeing people post about that. And become a trend. Um, I want to talk about gut health, Michelle, too. Um, When you and I chatted um, sort of in the pre-interview, we had talked about, we did in this interview too, the multiple, the multi-pronged sort of causes of obesity. The reason that people end up needing to be on these medications. And we keep hearing a lot of the discussion come back to gut health. Um, So if someone wants to be preventive in their healthcare, or maybe they even are obese or experiencing issues with their weight that they can't be controlled, what is the science showing about the connection between gut health and weight?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of really exciting science that's emerging around the relationship between gut health and weight and then a variety of other factors. Um, this really cool study just came out from Dr. Karen Corbin's group, actually in Orlando at the Translational Research Institute, mm-hmm. um, showing that uh, microbiome enhancing diet um, was associated with um, more calories basically being eaten by the bugs so it's this idea of like there's literal bugs in your stomach um, and in your digestive system and the bugs have to eat first and so if you're eating a microbiome enhancing diet even though you're taking in those calories by mouth you're not necessarily metabolizing all of those because your bugs are eating them so um, that's one way that it can be tied to your weight status if you're eating things that your bugs like to eat like fermented foods things like yogurt kimchi etc
0: oh so it's almost populating your gut with that good bacteria is like they're they're burning the calories for you
1: yeah basically they're like eating them for you so that's one component and then we know that um, diversification in your gut microbiome is associated with all these really positive health benefits too but it's interesting because from a What does this mean in terms of like, how do I change my behavior to achieve like gut health? Mm -hmm. It's really in line with what the recommendations are generally, you know, eating, you know, enough fiber, prioritizing these fermented foods, prioritizing lean sources of protein, beans, peas, lentils, fruits, vegetables, whole grains. Uh, So in terms of actual recommendations, it doesn't change much, Um, but if you're eating a very diet like that, that's high in, in this fiber, then mm. you're likely going to see improvements in, in your gut health.
0: Okay. So it really is, uh, it, it really is about going back to the basics. Yeah. I don't know why Michelle, like it, it this is going to come across wrong and I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> um, it feels like drugs are a cheat code sometimes. And I, I I'm not saying that with any disrespect People who medically need them, but I I want to address what has become a real distaste toward the pharmaceutical industry lately, and this growing belief that they have become part of the problem. And while Ozempic has performed miracles for many people, I think there's another contingent of people who say, "My God, it's just one more thing that we're passing off to drugs," and that. And and I know we covered on this a little bit, but I I think there's a little more nuance to it that I kind of want to cut to, and I'm, I'm curious what you think about that particular critique, um, that there is no such thing as a miracle pill or a miracle injection.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I would be in total agreement that there is no such thing as like a magical pill or magical injection. That's just going to, you know, solve all your problems or anything like that from the perspective of taking medications or, you know, even thinking about bariatric surgery as like the quote unquote, easy way out. I've heard that, you know, I've been in this field for 17 years now. I've heard that forever. And I have to say, I wholeheartedly disagree. I have never, ever, not once had a patient come into my office seeking, um, you know, my counsel for weight management or for obesity or weight loss that has not tried Every, you know, diet on the planet. I mean, Mm -hmm. you talk to uh, the patients that we have at Sequence. They have tried um, the keto diet, the cabbage soup diet. They have worked out, you know, excessively at the gym. They have, I mean, they have literally tried everything. Mm -hmm. And they're basically coming at these medications. Oftentimes, it's almost like a last resort, because, you know, nothing else has has worked for them. And I would say to folks, if you have tried all these different diets, and it's not ever worked for you, then that is likely Mm -hmm. uh, an indication that you might medically qualify that there's something going on with your biology, that's creating a barrier for you to, you know, to reach the level of weight health that you're, um, that you're that your goal or you're, you're oriented towards
0: Mm -hmm. hopping back to those who are currently on any any of the family of medications, we'll just say Ozempic, generally speaking, what else do they need to be aware of and monitoring that will keep them healthy long term? You mentioned things specifically like tests or things that people who are don't medically need this, should do. Um, But let's speak to that group of people who are looking at this as a long-term medication, maybe on for the rest of their lives. What are you advising them to do outside of actually staying on the medication?
1: Yeah, I I think the most important piece is to ensuring that you have all these healthy habits in place. There's no medication that's going to help you to eat healthier, to move more, to shift to a more positive mindset. So I think it's essential to pair these medications with an evidence based uh, lifestyle program that is going to, to help you achieve overall healthier diet quality, that's going to give you this, the, the skills and the tools needed to engage in the physical activity levels that you need, not only to attenuate that lean muscle mass loss, but also just engage in heart healthy, you know, behaviors and physical activity. And that mindset piece, you know, that that mind trash that so many of us engage in. And like you were saying, like, there's that that part that sneaks into our head of like that. I think you called it like that superficial bitch part, you know, that just like sneaks in there. But Again, having those tools and the support necessary to shift to a more positive mindset, to think about you know the, the big picture and think about things in a way that are beneficial to you and to your mental health and thinking about a holistic health. It's not just about a number on the scale.
0: And will those who are using it for maybe less um, serious weight loss, will they inevitably experience that rebound of weight gain when they get on and how would you counsel someone who's like oh my gosh i'm finally achieving the results i want now i want to know do i
1: i have to be on this forever yeah i think that's essential. That's why it's essential to pair this with some sort of evidence based lifestyle program, mm-hmm. because if at any point you're getting off those medications, you want to already have those healthy habits in place that are going to help you maintain that weight loss when the, the medication is stopped
0: hmm and we haven't touched on this yet i'd like you to speak a little bit to the reported side effects understanding that you're not coming from to this from a, a physician's Correct. perspective but um anecdotally reported side effects we've heard all kinds of scary things or read all kinds of scary things online about some things people are claiming are happening to them can you speak to the validity of any of those or what you're seeing or hearing
1: yeah, the, the major side effects that we see are nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation. The GI issues are by far the most reported side effects. Um, there are, like any medication, there's going to be risk for more serious side effects, but they're very rare. And if you're working with a highly qualified healthcare professional, they're going to help mitigate that risk and work with you every step of the way. If you're experiencing certain side effects and checking in regularly with your healthcare provider, you know, they should be able to either with titration uh, Mm -hmm. changes or by removing you off a medication that your body's just not reacting well to. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Is there anything else we're missing here, Michelle? This is such a multifaceted conversation that I want to make sure we spoke to um, every sort of group. Who might have an interest in this in this conversation. Is there anything we missed that you want to make sure we cover?
1: Yeah, I think you were really comprehensive. I loved watching your video clips of like, you know, in you like go up to people, it looks like in grocery stores and ask them, you know, questions. It's, it's really interesting to hear people's perspectives. And I just would want to remind people that um, despite what you've, heard all your life um, that, you know, obesity is a result of a lack of willpower, laziness, the data and the research is so clear Mm -hmm. that obesity is a chronic condition and it deserves the same treatment and access to empathetic and respectful care that any other chronic condition would require and, and deserve. I guess as a quick follow-up to that,
0: do you see medications like Ozempic um, eventually impacting those statistics in a positive way and actually changing the direction of modern health in America?
1: So really, really cool, um, kind of like top top line results that just uh, came out about a week ago, showing that um, not only is semaglutide highly effective for weight loss, but they saw a um, 20% decrease in heart attacks, in strokes, and cardiovascular-related um, death, which is incredible. Uh, so I do think that where, over time, there's going to be potential to see a decrease in overall obesity prevalence, but also hopefully some changes in these cardiovascular um, or heart health markers because At the end of the day, you know, cardiovascular disease or heart disease is the number one killer for both men and women in the United States. And if these medications are having such big implications for heart health, then I think that there's a real opportunity for beneficial changes over the long term. Yeah, I, I I hope
0: that it's the beginning of a trend, sort of in a in a positive direction in that way. Well, I, I you know I'm so grateful for your time, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me, and and for anyone listening, like I said, the the preemptive response to this episode was so great, and I hope that you guys found something in this interview that pertained to your curiosity about this medication or uh, you know any concerns or issues you've had. And I do think, Michelle, I like to think we approach this with like good deal of nuance and sort of empathy for every facet of it because there are like I said a lot of easy ways to jump to conclusions but um I think we did I think we did okay with that so yes thank you
1: Sandy I so appreciate that you come at this with such like a real talk perspective and you're not afraid to to ask the hard questions and that's why we love listening to you so thanks for having me it's very kind Michelle thank you so much
0: Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of We Gotta Talk. If you don't mind, I would love if you could leave a rating and review. Those help this show to get out to people who might find it useful or entertaining. I'm so grateful for your support. Please follow on Instagram at Sunny Abada or check out our latest blog post at talkcom slash blog. See you next time.